David Spada is a successful attorney whose dream was to become a sports talk show host. Elliot Harris is a Chicago sports columnist who wanted to expand his media presence. In the next hour, they combine their talents and love of sports and women by interviewing former professional athletes and lovely ladies on sports and torts. But keeping the boys out of trouble isn't always easy because when David and Elliot are together, they have more fun than should be legal. Welcome to another edition of Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com with David Spada and Elliot Harris. I am Elliot Harris, and in my unbiased opinion, I think we have a pretty good show today. A couple of coaches who performed quite well during their careers. We have Gene Stallings, who coached in college and in the NFL. And we had Dick Vermeil, who had tremendous success in the NFL. First up, Gene Stallings. Alabama had a big win over the weekend. Yeah, they did. They, uh, you know, the three interceptions really helped them statistically. Uh, Mississippi State won the battles, but A and M, I mean Alabama, won the game, and it was a, uh, it was a big win for them. Being obviously uh, playing Mississippi State, who at that time was the number one team in the country. I see that you grew up or were born in Paris, Texas. Did you always want to play for A and M, or did you want to play for Texas? Because I would assume back then everybody wanted to play for Texas. No, I. Uh, I was just hoping to get a scholarship, really. Uh, uh, I had no allegiance, really, to A&M, or uh, the place that really wanted me the most was TCU and Baylor. Uh, but I ended up going to Texas A&M, and, and uh, I'm extremely pleased that I did. Really reshaped my career. So, in high school, you played for Raymond Berry's father? Raymond right? Berry, uh, the legendary uh, Hall of Fame coach. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, trivia question in the NFL at that time was what two head coaches were from the same school. And, of course, it was Raymond and I, and, uh, yeah, his daddy was our head coach. Well, what was he like as a coach? Oh, he was a, uh, uh if Coach Berry said it, didn't go any further than that. He was an outstanding man in the community, a good coach, had been here for years and years, and, and uh, all young kids growing up wanted to play for Coach Burry, and uh, what a what a great job he did. Uh, and uh, he he really influenced my career when I got my head coaching job at Texas A&M. Uh, I was just 29, but I invited Coach Burry and Coach Lively down to College Station to observe me for a week. I'd say anything, just uh, uh, at the end of the week, give me a, an evaluation on what they thought I was doing right and what they thought I was doing wrong. So. I had great appreciation for Coach Berry. Ray, we talked to Raymond Berry a couple of years ago, and he said that his dad, I think, was harder than on him than any other players. Well, I, you know, I never did play with Raymond. He was uh, ahead of me. Uh, I was a freshman when he was a senior. And uh, back when I was playing, they had all kinds of teams. They had beat teams and super nubs and, and uh, hot shots and and so we all had different schedules, and and uh, but when Raymond was a senior, I was a freshman. When Texas A&M came to recruit you, was Bear Bryant involved? No, he was not. Uh, the head coach there was Ray George, and uh, Gil Stanky, who uh, later uh, became a great coach at Texas A&M, was a, was a coach who recruited me. Uh, there 
were some A&M people in the area that thought I should go to A&M, and uh, they contacted them, and that's that's really uh, the way that I ended up at A&M. It was a military school, uh, no co-eds at all, only about uh, 4,500 students, and uh, it has really grown since then. But at that time, uh, Ray George was a the coach. They fired him at the end of, of uh, uh uh, my freshman year. That's back in those days. You had freshman teams. Freshmen weren't eligible to play on the varsity, and they had a freshman schedule. And they hired this guy named Coach Bryant. We'd never heard of him. It didn't take us long to know who he was, though. What was it like that first training camp with Bear Bryant? Well, the, the, you're not talking about Junction. I don't imagine you're talking about the first spring practice. Uh, right. The uh, first spring practice. Uh, it, it was okay. Uh, uh, it was uh, uh, just a, a typical uh, transition coach, uh, uh, demanding a lot, wanting to see who wanted to play. Several play- players left. Uh, uh, it <clears throat> it was my first experience on being on the varsity. And I was just a freshman at the time, so I didn't know any difference one way or the other. I just thought that was that was what you practiced. <laughs> And what what was it like being one of the Junction boys? Well, now, you know, uh, one of the famous quotes was made by me. is said that we went out in two buses and came back in one. It was half full. Uh, we were there about 10 days. And and uh, the, what, it, what made Junction so bad was uh, the facilities were, were terrible. Uh, it was in the middle of a drought. had no grass or goat heads. There were big old sandburrs were everywhere. You put your fan, hands down, you put them in some sandburrs. And, and uh, it was just a, a sort of a sporting atmosphere. I mean, we lived in Quonson huts and no air condition at all. And <clears throat> extremely hot. And, and players quit so the lines were short. And uh, I think we only finished with like 35 players. Back in those days, he played both ways. Uh, he was on all the kicking teams and special teams and offense and defense. And on time he came out of the games when he fouled up. <laughs> Did that help you become a better team? Say it again. Did that help you become a better team? You know, I think so. Um, uh, it, it sort of got the core of the of the team that really wanted to play. And then I uh, remember we were going to play Baylor. And uh, it was on about midnight uh, on Wednesday night, and somebody was shaking me, waking me up, and said, Coach Brown, want to meet him with the players down in the lounge. And uh, we all went downstairs, and, and uh, he gave all of us a, uh, a capsule uh, with a grain of mustard seed in it and quoted the parable in the Bible about having the faith of a grain of mustard seed and said, guys, you just hang in there. Uh, and we would only won one game that year. I said, if you just hang in before you finish, I'm going to tell you we're going to win the championship, and that's what happened. Were there ever moments where you thought, this coach is nuts? No. no and I never never gave uh, quitting a thought. I mean, that, that never entered my mind. That when we were in Junction, and we, every once in a while we'd go downtown to practice on the high school field, and, and we was on a bus, and it, it sort of had a... a S curve and went over a river, and I was, and I hoped, uh, I said, you know, if the brakes would just fail and we could just sort of go out over the edge and drown, it'd be an honorable way out. <laughs> I, 
never did happen, but I kept open at it mine. But uh, as far as uh, everything about quitting, I never did that. First of all, I was on scholarship and had an opportunity to get an education, and uh, uh, I, I was going to do what it took to, to hang in. Thankful, I'm very thankful that I did, too. So you go from one win to nine zero and one. You probably right. will never forget that tie. No, it was a, it was a great win. In fact, it's the first time that Texas A&M had ever beaten the University of Texas in Memorial Stadium, and uh, that was a big celebration. Uh, I wasn't able to go to a bowl because we were on probation. When you graduated, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do? I graduated one day and went to, uh, to Alabama the next. Uh, uh, it took me four and a half years to graduate and, and change majors. And my fourth and a half year, I uh, coached a freshman team. And one of my jobs was to uh, go in and uh, scout Texas A&M. And I would go in Coach Bryant's office on a Monday morning and tell him what A&M could do, was doing. And he had a way of intimidating you. Now, that's that's back before you had all the videos and you had to write down what you saw and so forth and so on and uh, when the scouting was a little different than it is now and uh, I helped coach his freshman and so he called me in his office and he said Beaver I'm going to go to Alabama and I'm going to offer you a job on my staff but if I hear that I've offered it before I'm ready to announce it you don't have it so I won't tell everybody but I couldn't tell so and uh <laughs> So anyway, made a little over four thousand dollars a year, and I thought I had the best job in Alabama. Did you ever think, you know what? Maybe I should turn down Coach Bryant and stay here in Texas. <coughs> no, I, uh, first of all, it just it thrilled me that I had a job, and I wanted to go into coaching. My major was physical education, and and I wanted I wanted to coach. But the furthest thing in my mind was being on Coach Bryant's staff, and uh, when he. And if he had stayed at A&M, I don't think he'd have hired me. But when he went to Alabama, he wanted some young coaches that that had played for him, and so he offered me a job. So, uh, no, I, that turned out extremely well for me. Yeah, I mean, Alabama wins the national championship in '61, and again in '64. Right. What? <laughs> I was part of both those staffs, and then I, I went on to uh, Texas A&M in '64. Was it difficult to leave Alabama? No, no, it certainly wasn't. I mean, it was. That's what you want as a head coaching job, and I, and I loved working for Coach Brown. My job was a defensive coordinator and I was assistant head coach. And and uh, but when the opportunity came for me to get a head job at at A and M, uh, I was all for it. Probably a little young, to tell you the truth. It was back during the Vietnam War, and. and A&M was a military school, and a lot of people just didn't want to uh, be committed to the military. So uh, recruiting was, was sort of hard. Plus, I never had an easy preseason game. Uh, I know one year my three preseason games was LSU and Baton Rouge, Ohio State and Columbus, and University of Michigan and Ann Arbor. That that was my three preseason games. Uh, I was at A&M seven years and had one easy preseason game. Now everybody has three easy preseason games. So a win-loss record and a win-loss record is not the same. Yeah. Uh, you, you could tell that the football coach wasn't making up the schedule that, that the athletic yeah, director was. Uh, the athletic director would need that money. That's right. 
you know, he, he goes to those stadiums that hold, you know, 100,000 people or close to it, and you come home with a nice paycheck from uh, from the host university, but, you know. Yeah, and then, uh, then keep the other uh, programs afloat, and anyway, that's the, uh, the schedule that I inherited, and uh, and... and and I was pleased to, to to have a good schedule. Really, back in those days, the only thing counted was winning a championship. Now they win six, they go to a bowl. And back in those days, you had to win something to go to a bowl. Yeah. Howard Schnellenberger told us that when Coach Bryan found out that Joe Namath wasn't going to Maryland, he sent him to go recruit Namath. And he said when Namath came down to Alabama that he was the only player that Coach Brian ever let up in his tower. Is that true? I think that's true. I, I remember seeing him up there, and uh, it, it amazed me. I was an assistant coach down on the field, and Howard uh, is right. Uh, I mean, he was going to go to, to Maryland, uh, and then I think that uh, Howard had a brother that uh, knew somebody, knew somebody in any way. Uh, he was involved in recruiting uh, Joe Namath, and what a great job he did. And and, and Joe really sort of turned that program around. Yeah, he he was up on the tower, and he's the only one I've ever seen. He went up there except Coach Bryant. Did Coach Bryant ever smile? He always looked on the sidelines. His demeanor looked pretty pretty serious. Pretty gruff, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he smiled there once in a while when we got ahead and the game about over. Might might catch him with a smile, but he was very intense. You know, Coach Landry was the same way. Uh, said he is a stonic look, but uh, you know these coaches that are involved in the game and looking at the point of attack, they don't have time to be a cheerleader. You can't run up and down the hoop mile and be a cheerleader and watch what's happening on the field. And, and Coach Bryant knew what was happening on the field. Coach Landry did also. When you got offered the job at Texas A&M, how did you feel? I just can't believe how excited that was. I, I flew over in a private, they sent a private plane to get me in, and, uh, and so I, was, I went up to pilots and I said, I, you know, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say that, but we got land. I got to go to the bathroom. I said, we'll go back there and use one on the plane. I didn't know they had a, a bathroom on the plane. So that's how naive I was, but I was extremely excited to get the job. What was, 1967, like when uh, Texas A&M won the Southwest Conference. We started off losing first four and uh, played well, and we just didn't win the game. Then we won seven in a row and and had the opportunity to play Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. And uh, Phil Scoville was the chairman of the Cotton Bowl Association, and and uh, I didn't have anything to do with who was going to play other than. Uh, uh, I wanted my players to be exposed to Coach Bryan a little bit. They had heard me talk about Coach Bryan and Coach Bryan. So back in those days when you went to a bowl, both teams did things together. And uh, the coaches would get up and say a few words, and I wanted to be exposed to Coach Bryan. So it was a great week, and a week I'll remember the rest of my life, really. What, what was it like going up against Coach Bryan? Well, I, I, I didn't really... Uh, consider myself going up coach against Coach Bryant. It was Texas A&M playing Alabama. And uh, football games are won by football players making plays. They're not won by coaches. Uh, uh, you know, you're either a scheme coach or you're a technique coach. And I was a technique coach. And, and uh, I was thrilled that Coach Bryant was on the other sideline. But 
uh, uh, I will remember one thing that happened in the game. Coach Bryant thought it was third down to send his kicker in the game. So I sent a guy in, didn't do anything but field punts. And uh, the coaches uh, 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 talked to Coach Bryant and said, Coach, it's just third down where he sends his quarterback back in and takes the kicker out of the game, which you can't do. <laughs> well, when he did that, I, I sent a, a guy in it that that uh, was going to play safety, and uh, the official on my side said, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, 75,000 people saw Coach Bryant do it. He said, yeah, but you're not Coach Bryant. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he, uh, uh, he had a way of getting things done. You mentioned uh, Coach Landry being similar to Coach Bryant. I mean, it wasn't just the hats. It was their demeanor, too, like you said. I mean, they were both stoic guys, but they got their players' attention. Yeah, and uh, they did it in different ways. Uh, uh, I actually knows when I was working for Coach Landry, it was always the right play at the right time. Uh, Alabama, their plays weren't necessarily the right ones, but the players thought they were the right ones. And in fact, we had Coach Bryant on our sideline. Players thought he was worth 10, 12 points. Where the, the Cowboys, uh, we were so well prepared and so well schooled that that uh, Coach Bryant, I mean Coach Lander, had them extremely well prepared, and that's the reason we won games there. How did you end up on uh, the Cowboys staff? I'd uh, coached at A and M seven years and got fired. Back when they called me in, I thought they were going to give me a raise. And uh, I did a pretty good job of what I had. And, and anyway, they, they fired me. And I was just, you know, I, I was just embarrassed. And, and uh, I was fixing to get out of coaching, really. And Coach Landry called Coach Landry. And Coach Bryant called Coach Landry and said, you got a coach down there that's 100 miles of you. as good a coach as there is in the country. And so as a result of that telephone call, Coach Landry called me. And I went up for an interview and, and uh, got the job. So... Uh, I didn't know anything about pro ball, never had played it, never had coached it, didn't know anything about it. Uh, didn't take me long to learn, but, uh, I was coaching secondary and we didn't even play man to man when I was in, in uh, college. We played all zone. Uh, we were playing man to man, so I studied Mel Renfro, who was a cornerback, and, and the way he played his technique, uh, I coached uh, the way Mel played, and, and so that, that helped me. You had some great assistant coaches became head coaches uh, in the NFL with the Cowboys. You had you, you had Mike Ditka, you had Dan Reeves. Was it just because Coach Landry was such a good coach that you guys kind of learned techniques from him? I think so. Uh, you know, uh, we did things at, uh, at Alabama that we did not do it at uh, uh, the Cowboys. But my position's always been you, you coach the way the head coach wants you to coach, and you do it the way he wants to do it. And, and uh, Coach Landry was so well prepared, uh, uh, just hard to believe how knowledgeable he was about football. Uh, but uh, he, he surrounded himself with good coaches. Jim Myers was with him for forever, and, and then, uh, of course, Detkin and, and Dan Reeves and myself went out and got head coaching jobs. So, uh, yeah, I think it was bef- it was because uh, people wanted part of his system. They through they didn't take want me, but they thought I might have known a little something from his system. Was Renfro uh, the favorite defensive back you coached? 
No, no. Uh, I, you know, I've had Charlie Waters and Cliff Harris and, and Mark Washington and Mel Renfro and Michael Downs and Ron Fellows. All, all these guys were good players. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed all of them. Mel was uh, the, the, probably the best cornerback that I've ever seen, really. But uh, he only played two or three years. Uh, uh, I hired him when I went to St. Louis. He, he was on my staff there. And Everson Walls wasn't too shabby there. That rookie year yeah, was phenomenal. Everson Walls. Uh, uh, so I, I had a, most of my secondary when I was coaching there were all free agents. Uh, Charlie Waters was a quarterback. Cliff Harris was a free agent. Everson Walls was a free agent. Michael Downs was a free agent. Ron Fellows was a free agent. So we didn't have many high draft choices playing in secondary. So how'd they play so well? Was well, it the coaching? Were, uh, <laughs> that part of it. And uh, they were well coached, but they were good athletes. And back in those days where you just had 10 around, 10, 12 rounds, there were a lot of good players that didn't get drafted that later on became good players. But, uh, yeah, we used to have that running battle with, uh, with Gil Brandt. He, he would say, man, I got you some, some really good free agents. And I'd say, well, if they're so good, how come we didn't draft them? <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Uh, I bet he didn't have an answer for that one. No, no. Yeah, but anyway, uh, the, the Cowboys were extremely a successful organization, and Gil did a great job and handling the personnel, and Coach Landry handled the football, and uh, Tex Ram ran the, the organization. So it was a, it was a well-run, well-oiled organization. I heard that Coach Landry never swore. Said that gum one time. <laughs> That's as close as he came, huh? Yeah, we thought he was cussing when he said that. <laughs> was it after the catch in the championship game? <laughs> I don't really remember. What a, what a great man he was, though. I mean, yeah. just knowledgeable and just, and he just seemed to play golf with the, the assistant coaches as he had with the, the president of the bank. I mean, it, uh, he was just an unassuming type individual. When the St. Louis Cardinals came a calling, did you did you hesitate at all, or did you say this is no, what I've been no, waiting no. for? You know, I probably should have, but I didn't. It was an opportunity to have a head coach in the NFL. And back in those days, it wasn't a whole lot of teams, and and I was excited that I had an opportunity to coach, but. Uh, uh, Mr. Bidwell, my job was to please him. wasn't his job to please me, and I, and I just couldn't do it. I tried, mean, you, but I couldn't do it. I mean, you go from one of the best organizations in football at the time to probably one of the worst run in the Cardinals. Well, it was, uh, you know, there, there was a difference in the Cowboy organization and the Cardinal organization. But nevertheless, it wasn't his job to please me. My job to please him. I couldn't do it. Tried. Was there anything... Uh, good that came out of that St. Louis uh, Phoenix Cardinals experience. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, um, we were uh, five and five, and uh, had about ten, twelve players on injured reserve, and still were competing and playing well. And the media kept asking when they're going to renew my contract, and. Mr. Bidwell said he won't see me coach one more game. I've been with him four years, and so it was obvious to me that he wanted somebody else 
to be his coach. So uh, I called the press conference the next day and said, now when the season is over, I'm no longer a candidate for this job. This will give him plenty of time to get who they want. All I want to do is get the Cardinals into the playoff. Anyway, they fired me the next day. And the Cardinals lost six in a row. And and uh, then as a result of uh, that, us fixing to take the Navy job and uh, see where the coach at Alabama had uh, uh, resigned and uh, Bill Curry. And so uh, I got in touch with some people there and, and Udi Ingram, that leg director, and offered me the job. And, and the rest is history. Now, I'd never gone to Alabama if uh, they would have extended my contract. So things have a way of working out. Yeah. Was there a lot of pressure on you to win at Alabama? Say it again. Was there a lot of pressure for you to win at Alabama? No, I, I started off 0-3. I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... We go up and play Tennessee, and they were number one team in the country, and we wasn't even ranked, and we we beat them, a nine to six, six to three. I can't really remember, and that sort of kickstarted my career. And then we went thirty at one stretch. We went thirty-one games without losing. So uh, uh, I didn't, you know, we won the national championship, obviously, and, and uh, there was no pressure on me after that. Which. Is more enjoyable coaching in the NFL or coaching in college? Because you have different I responsibilities. I'd probably, I'd probably coach college. Uh, uh, the college age players probably needs a little bit more help, and not only on X's nose, it just needs a little guidance. And where the pro is pretty well settled, and 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 it's just all football. Because I mean, it was very difficult for the coaches who succeeded Bear Bryant. Because, I mean, there was so much pressure on him. How did you do it when other coaches failed before you? Well, first of all, I didn't compete with Coach Bryant. I told more Coach Bryant stories than anybody. And, and, and uh, you know, it just, you know, I coached my own personality, and, and uh, we just won some games. So uh, I, I didn't. I didn't ever want my record to be compared to Coach Bryant's record. I wasn't interested in that. I was just interested in trying to win a few games. Well, you know, if anybody wanted their record to be compared to Coach Bryant's, it sounds like a losing proposition after all the success that he had had. Well, yeah, I used to say people in the state of Alabama love Coach Bryant. They just tolerated the rest of us. Did you find that there were times where they didn't tolerate you? <laughs> no, not really. Uh, uh, you know, we we uh, went to bowl games every year except one. One year we were on probation, and uh, uh, so it, anyway, it was a it was a good experience, and and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and uh, you know, rank has its privilege, and I wasn't on the same page with the new president, new athletic director, so I just decided to retire and. Uh, if you can't really respect the people that you're working for, you need to step aside. That's what I did. In the championship, won seven, we won seventy games in seven years, and so was, you know, that's about all I could do. I remember that championship game against Miami when Teague stripped the ball away from that Miami receiver there, and I just loved it so much because Miami was so cocky going into that game. Well, if you can play defense and you can run the football, you're going to win most of the games. And we led the nation in defense. In fact, that defense was ranked the best defense that's ever been in college football. 
and uh, we could run the football. So I, uh, I couldn't understand why people picked us as underdog myself. I said, I think we're the best football team, and uh, it turned out that way. What was that game like, being on the sidelines, seeing your team? Uh, <coughs> oh, well, we, we were well prepared and played well and played hard. I, the thing I remember about the game, we Derek Lassie grabbed the ball down to one foot line and sort of spun the football and penalized us 15 yards. And, and he just sort of twisted it, and that really irritated me. Uh, uh, well, I wasn't the official's favorite person anyway on the sideline and, and uh, there's a big difference in three points and seven points when you're playing for the national championship anyway we, we ended up winning the game pretty easily Was it the best team you ever coached? Yeah I'm, I'm sure it was I, I've had some good teams that maybe the record wasn't quite as good but uh, that was probably the best team I've ever coached After that success did you say to yourself I'm going to be here another you know 10, no, 20, no. 20 years? No, no. Uh, I, my little boy had Down syndrome, and, and uh, they just spent a little time with him. As I said a little earlier, the, I wasn't on the same page with the athletic director and the head coach, I mean the president, and the rank has its privilege. And I know one thing about coaching in college, the athletic director, the head coach, and the president's got to be on the same page. And we just weren't. And so I decided to retire. That's what I did. Did you ever think to yourself, maybe I want to get back into coaching after you retired? Well, not, not really. I had an opportunity to go to a couple of places, but uh, I lived on a ranch and bought a ranch. And when I was coaching at A&M, it took 40 years to get it paid for. But, uh, you know, I just decided to, that I had enough Saturdays and Sundays. Now you could pay for it in one year with the amount they pay these coaches. Yeah, yeah. I never had an agent. I never knew what I made until I got my first check. I, I coached because of the love of the job that I wanted, not the money. So I, you know, I just didn't make big money, but I, they didn't care. I, I, I coached because of the job I wanted. You, you touched upon having a, a son with Down syndrome. Most people, I think, look at coaches and think they're just coaches, and fail to realize they're human beings. Yeah, what, we, we what, just, what, what are the challenges of, of being a father and a husband as well as being a coach? Well, it's a tremendous challenge. I mean, uh, you've got to have an understanding why because you're gone a lot and you're in demand a lot. And, and uh, you know, the things sort of circulate around you. They've circulated around me long enough. That's one of the reasons I retired. I you know, I, I felt like things ought to circulate around somebody else, and and uh, I want to spend a little bit more time with Johnny, and that's that's what I did. Is it hard when you see athletes with all that talent and physical ability not get the most of it? When you see your yeah, son, yeah, sure, that uh, they had a hard time with me. If a kid was blessed with ability and talent, he didn't lay it online. He had a hard time with me. The guy didn't have much talent. He could play for me from now on. Do you ever wonder why that message doesn't get across to some uh, some of the players and it, it resonates with others? No, I really don't. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Gene Stallings. After this brief break, we will be back with Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil. 